0: Hi, I'm Dan and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at LifeChurchUtah.com. I love all the assignments that God has given me, but the most important assignment that I have is today. I believe that God has brought me here uh, to share a word with you. A challenge to you. And uh, I want to be faithful in that. I love this church. I've had history with this church well over 40 years. Uh, Pastor Bob Smith allowed me to come and preach. I was a a wild and crazy youth pastor. In many ways, I'm still wild and crazy. I tell people I'm I'm a youth pastor trapped in a 68-year-old body. But I remember your associate pastors, Alice Lucero, Vern Fink, Ray Smith, and on and on the list goes. I'm thankful for Camp Utaba. Are there any alumni of Camp Utaba? Anybody that's ever been to Camp Utaba? The first service had a few, but we had youth camps there, and I am so thankful. This church, uh, you have been blessed by God's faithfulness to you with the quality leaders that you have had over the the number of decades. Amen. And uh, to say that to say that Jim and Carrie Ayers were used mightily of the Lord for the last seventeen years would be a huge understatement. There was a dynamic, anointed, and powerful ministry that God gave you. Um, you have been blessed. You already know that, and. Jim and Carrie Ayers, as Marco said, those of you that are visiting, retired and they are gone, we already miss them. We miss Carrie's smile. How many of you love Carrie Ayers' smile? Not that Pastor Jim didn't smile, he smiled every couple weeks or so. No, Jim's powerful preaching and his administrative skill and his love for the congregation will be missed. But Life Church, a new chapter lies ahead. Change has come to you. I hate change. I, I I know. We're all there. We want our comfort zones. But change has come. And change is coming. Yes, it's difficult, but I just want to challenge you. I know I'm an outsider but i want to challenge you let's face the change head on and let's see what god has for us amen be strong in the lord life church you're in a vulnerable time you're in transition time and if there was ever a time that your church needed you sir to be faithful it's now Ma'am, if there was ever a time when this church needed you to stay strong in the Lord, it is now. You say, well, man, if I have to put up with hearing you for a few weeks, I may take a little mini sabbatical. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Be strong. Be be supportive of your church. Get in. Help out. Give. Give. Turn to somebody and say, you need to give, Bubba. (laughs) Some of you are sitting near your wife and you said, I'm not saying that. (laughs) Let's give. Let's be strong. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Would you do that? In fact, I want you to stand. Acts chapter 20, stand with me. I appreciate Paloma being up in the sound booth. She's running the computer and she 's saying man alive i 've never done the the slides for this guy before, so she did a good job in, in the nine o 'clock service, and I appreciate her Acts chapter twenty. I was going another direction. I had prepared another message, and then I just felt the strong direction of the Lord a few days back that I was to change and to preach this message. I preached this message six years ago when I began ministry at Victory Life Church. And for some strange reason, God has directed me to share this with you. I believe there's at least one of you here today that God has set you up in a good way. The Spirit of the Lord is here. We've already felt God's presence we are a Pentecostal church, and, and I believe we heard a word from the Lord today. And now I want us to look into God's word. Acts chapter number 20, beginning to read with verse 22. I think you have it on the screen, you have it on in an insert, you can, your Bibles, Paul is speaking, beginning to read with verse 22. Here's what he says, and now compelled by the Spirit. I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race And complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. My message to you this morning is simply titled, What does it mean to make Jesus your Lord? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. The power of your word. It is supernatural. And I pray, Lord, that now in the next few moments, you will help me in the midst of my weakness, God, speak to this group of people that you love so much. Help us, Lord, to grasp what you're saying to the church. Help us, Lord, what, to know what you're saying to us individually. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. The old uh, comedian, he's now dead, but his name was George Burns. Anybody remember George Burns? I know we don't think of him as a theologian, but I love one of George Burns' quotes. He said, the secret to a good sermon is to have a good beginning and a good ending and have the two as close together as possible. And I know, man, the clock is ticking. It's 12.11. And no doubt there's some of you that have special reservations at chuck rama in just a few minutes. <laughs> but I'm going to ask you to stick with me here. I may go a little bit later. I already asked them not to open the trap door that's up here and <laughs> shoot me down there. But just stick with me. I believe the Lord is with us here. These, these verses that we read, they're part of a passage of Scripture in which Paul is sharing. He's on his last missionary journey, his third missionary journey. He's been traveling all over the area we call the Mediterranean. He's planted churches. He's been beaten up. All sorts of things have happened to him. And now he's heading back to Jerusalem, and he's sailing with his band of friends down on the west side of what we would now call Turkey. But he has in his heart, he wants to meet with the elders in, in Ephesus. The elders from Ephesus. And so he arranges for them to meet them. They pull the ship into a harbor. And Paul has a few moments with these Ephesian elders. And if you read the rest of the chapter, you can sense the emotion that is there. Paul tells them, in fact, that in his opinion, they will never see his face again on this earth. These verses are powerful, and I believe that these verses have application to you, sir, and to me. Point number one, if you want to fill in the blank, you can do so. From verse 22, when I made Jesus my Lord, I am no longer in control. I am no longer in control when I make Jesus my Lord, I am no longer in control. By the way, I just want to say, I love the worship, I love the music, I love the words, but did you did you understand that some of the songs, especially the last two songs, I loved them all, but the last two are are what I call scary songs, scary in the In the way that you sang songs like, I give it all to you, Lord. I surrender everything to you. And I believe God listens when we are singing. And I believe he may have a tendency to say, really? Do you mean that? Or was that just a nice little ditty that you sang? I give it all to you, Jesus. Hmm. When you make Jesus your Lord, you're no longer in control. Paul said in verse 22, did you notice? He said, I'm compelled by the Spirit. The Greek word that's translated compelled by the NIV translators is really a word that means tied up. This is one of those cases where, in my opinion, the King James translation, the word bound, is closer to what the Greek word is all about. Paul is saying he's tied up. In other words, he's intimating that he, in effect, has become a slave, a love slave to Jesus. Lordship, you see, means that Jesus is in control of our lives. We make him the boss, the leader, the captain of our lives. We give him the steering wheel of our lives. <laughs> I use that metaphor. And I, I remember the times that I said, Lord, you drive the car, but can I be a backseat driver? Oh. You see, it's more than making Jesus your Savior. That's step number one in Christianity. Acknowledging to God that we've sinned, that we repent of those sins. We believe in our heart that Jesus died on the cross. He paid the price for us. We also believe that he was raised from the dead. We trust in his eternal work. We're forgiven. We're transformed. We're born again. But it's one thing to trust Jesus as your Savior But I believe it's another thing to make him your Lord. In John's Gospel, we read the account of Jesus appearing to Thomas, the doubting disciple. And how did Thomas respond when he saw Jesus' nails in his hands? He said, my Lord and my God. Now is this hard to give Jesus control of our lives by making him Lord? Absolutely. It is difficult. I know you would say, Pastor Bob, there's some new people here that are investigating Christianity, and you're saying it's hard. Giving him control of your life is hard, especially if you have a tendency to want to control things. Are there any of you here that are sitting near someone? You're already ahead of me, aren't you? Someone who is a control freak. No, you don't need to raise your hands. I'm one myself. Notice that Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Is it scary to make Jesus your Lord? Absolutely, because he doesn't always tell you what he has planned for you but that would mess with my timeline. You see, when you make Jesus your Lord, in effect, you give Him your timeline. Paul, in another letter to the church, said, I have to die daily. Die to my own selfish desires. Why? Because Jesus is now Lord. Men and women, I'm like you. Most of the time, I want my own way. And so easily I can begin to feel that, that life should revolve around me. But Jesus, sir, wants to be your Lord. Man, he wants to be your Lord. Not your sugar daddy. He wants to be your Lord. I know you former pastor. So I know you've been consistently challenged to make Jesus your Lord. When you do that, it should impact every area of our Lives, young people that are here today. It affects how you approach your future, how you approach possible marriage. It should affect how we all spend our money, the things we buy, how we give, our priorities, our values, the way we spend our time, our worldview. We are under new management when we make Jesus our Lord. We are no longer. In charge. Point number two. Not only are we no longer in control. When you make Jesus your Lord, it means this. Hardships are not only possible, they are certain. Hardships. Say it with me. Hardships are not only possible, they are certain. Maybe you're here today and you said, I refuse to repeat those words. Now, the Holy Spirit warned him. Did you notice that in the text, Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen. But then he says, I only know that the Spirit has warned me. The prison and hardships are facing me. You say, now wait just a minute. Pastor Bob, isn't it quite a hermeneutical stretch to say that just because Paul predicted that he was going to suffer, that that means also we might have to endure hardship?" Some might say, is this Jesus you serve a killjoy? Is the God of the Bible? Is he just waiting to say, ha ha, you made me your Lord. Now I'm going to take you through it. It's going to be awful. (laughs) Well, let let me answer both those things. First of all, the New Testament is filled with references to God's process of building character in us. God is much more concerned about your character than He is your happiness. He's building character in us. He wrote in the book of Romans about difficult times that build perseverance. And that builds character, and character builds hope. He wrote to the Corinthians about how when he, Paul, experiences his personal weaknesses, then he is the strongest in Christ. Yes, it's true that most of us would prefer everything going our way, never having any difficulties At all. Disneyland with no lines on the rides and cheap prices. Never having to ever again drive through a construction zone. Smooth sailing. No sickness, no disappointment, no heartache, no crying, no pain. By the way, There is coming a day, should Jesus delay his return, or let me say it this way, there is coming a day when there will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. There will be no more cancer. But until that day comes, should the Lord delay his return, men and women, remember this, God is shaping and molding our lives. And we only grow through the tough times. But pastor, I want my best life now. I want my abundant life that Jesus promised. Just remember that God defines the words best and abundant far different than you and I do. Also remember that the Bible clearly teaches that we are in a battle. We are in a spiritual battle between good and evil. Between the God of the Bible and the forces of darkness. There is a war going on. Now stick with me. Some of you new may be saying, "Mm, It's getting a little creepy now. No, you read the Bible and you see, if you read the Bible, that there is warfare going on. There's war for the souls of, of men and women. There is a war going on in each person. and You see, when a person surrenders to the lordship of Jesus... The devil, the dark side, the real dark side, in fact, declares war on them. And in a war, there are casualties. My friends, sometimes things happen in our lives for which we will never have answers. I'm glad for the testimony that Eric shared. I'm glad that by his stripes we are healed. But I will tell you, there's sometimes... When I've prayed for people and they aren't healed. I don't understand it all. I will keep on praying for people. But sometimes things happen. Just last summer and after one of our youth camps, a wonderful lady served as our camp nurse, loves God with all of her heart, put her three teenage kids in the van and they headed off. And just a few hours later, head-on collision with another vehicle. And all four of those precious people went into eternity. I don't understand how a man who served as a deacon in one of our churches served God faithfully. He's the one that has to receive the news. Someone coming to his door saying, we are so sorry to tell you that your wife and three kids are gone. I don't get that. Some of you are facing hardships. I believe there's some of you that when you heard the testimony about the person being healed of cancer, you may have thought to yourself, why hasn't happened? Why hasn't it happened yet for me, Lord? Why am I still going through chemotherapy? I don't have the answer for that, but you see this. When Jesus is your Lord, you don't have to run when the hard times come. Because Jesus is with you. Amen. The word of the Lord from our brother this morning was that. He is with us. You are going through difficult days. God will give you his strength and his Grace, hardships are not only possible, they are certain. Point number three. When I make Jesus my Lord, it means life is no longer about my fulfillment, but but rather staying faithful to and completing the task God has given me. I know that's a long point three. and The people who put together the slides are saying, you need to cut it down. We'll do that in later weeks. Point number three, right from the text, life is no longer about my fulfillment, but rather staying faithful to and completing the task. God has given me. We live in a culture. We live in a culture that seeks personal fulfillment. We so foolishly look for fulfillment, don't we? In all kinds of places, relationships with people. We want money, we want that dream job, hobbies, sports, great locations in which to live and on and on. But Paul simply states in verse 24 that when it comes down to the bottom line, when I make Jesus my Lord, my life is really worth nothing. Unless I do what he wants me to do. Now if you're here today and you're a counselor or a therapist. That may not have a biblical worldview. You may be saying, did Paul really say my life is worth nothing? Does he need some therapy? Is the guy suicidal? Obviously his self-image needs some adjustment. No, hear me, what Paul is saying is that he now knows that the best value for his life is not in selfish self-fulfillment, but rather in doing what God wants in my life. I must say, whatever the task is, I will do it. And what is that task that Paul spoke about? Testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And <laughs> we're saying, oh, pastor, are you saying that if I make Jesus my Lord, that I have to become an apostle or a preacher or a church planter like Paul was? No. Absolutely not. Unless he specifically calls you to do that. But the point is this. In whatever you do, in your occupation, in your role in life, may your life testify to... To the gospel of God's grace. Your task may be to be a teacher, a homemaker, a postal worker, a banker, accountant, a contractor, a small business owner, a hairdresser, a professor, lawyer, doctor, construction worker, computer programmer, secretary, student, administrative assistant, insurance salesperson, Walmart greeter. Retired person, musician, artist, professional athlete, actor, limo driver, Uber driver, pilot, roofer, and on and on and on and on goes. God has a task for you. I love what Mark Buntaine the late, great missionary Mark Fontaine had to say, and I believe it's on the screen, he said, God has no big place for you. God has no small place for you. God has the right place for you. Be in the right place. But I want to find myself faster. <laughs> then here's the challenge. I dare you, young man, young lady, middle-aged man, middle-aged young lady, Senior citizen like me, I dare you. Here's the challenge. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Let Him drive the car of your life. And He will give you life like you've never known it. You were created for something special. He wired you that way. He will give you life. He wrote to the church in Ephesus... Ephesians 2.10, he said we're God's, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. Yes, it's true. Life may have hardship and disappointment. Things that we don't understand may happen. But when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you will finally know What that abundant life, that life with real joy, is all about real peace and real satisfaction. So, how did it turn out for Paul? Did he face hardship? Yes, he did. You can read the rest of the book of Acts prison, severe hardships. But did Paul stay faithful? Did he complete the task that God had given him? Yes. And because he was faithful, billions of Christ followers over the last 2,000 years have been strengthened and encouraged. And just before he died, the last letter he wrote, the letter he wrote to Timothy. It's called 2nd Timothy. Paul wrote these words. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. What does it mean to make Jesus your Lord? means you're no longer in control it means that hardships are not only possible they are certain and it means not life is no longer about my fulfillment but rather staying faithful and completing the task that god has given me would you stand with me please I've asked the worship team to come back and we're going to sing one of those scary songs. But I, I close with a story, and I'm sorry I've gone over my time, and if, if you need to go, you, you go. But I want to tell you a story about my grandfather. And I believe we have a picture of my grandfather that's on the screen. That's my grandfather. His name is Robert Felix Cook. Robert F. Cook, my grandfather lived in Los Angeles, but he was impacted by the Azusa Street Revival. He had been following the Lord, but he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. My grandfather began to feel the call of God <laughs> on <upon> his life <laughs> to India. I met these precious people who are sitting behind us. My grandfather had never been to India. He had never been to your land. But back in 1913, 105 years ago, my grandfather and his wife Anna and their two little girls, seven and four, Blossom and Dorothy, they got on a ship and they headed to India because they felt God had called them to go preach the gospel. Took them 30 days to get there. They arrived and my grandfather didn't know any of the languages. He didn't know Hindi. He didn't know Malayalam. All he knew was that God had called him. And all he knew was that he had made Jesus his Lord. And he began to preach to anyone who would listen to him. This small little balding white man. He found a, an interpreter. And he would go to the villages and he didn't know the societal protocol. He didn't know that he wasn't supposed to mingle with the lower caste, with the untouchables. My grandfather oozed the love of Jesus from his life and he preached to any who would hear the message. And many got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. But in 1917, Anna, his wife, became sick. And they prayed for her. My grandfather was filled with the Holy Spirit. He prayed for his wife, Anna. She had a disease that she had contracted there in India. But on August 31st, 1917, a little bit over a hundred years ago, Anna slipped into eternity. And my grandfather was left a single dad. His daughters were now 11 and eight. What should he do? He had given four years of his life. Isn't that enough? And now my wife's gone. No doubt there were family members that communicated and said, hey, come on, you paid your dues. Come back and let the family help you raise Blossom and Dorothy. But I've seen, I've seen the letter that my grandfather wrote. It was published in our fellowship's Evangel Magazine in late 1917. And he simply stated that I mourn the loss of my wife and I don't know how I'll raise my daughters, but Jesus is my Lord and I will follow his call upon my life. I stand here today because my grandfather made Jesus his Lord. He kept on being faithful, preaching the gospel. Had some Indian ladies help him with his daughters. But eventually, a while later, my grandfather met a single young lady from New York State. Her name was Bertha Nellie Fox. They fell in love. And they were married. She became the stepmother of Blossom and Dorothy. But God blessed the union between Robert F. and Bertha Nellie Fox. And God gave them three sons. The oldest son is George Robert Cook. I am George Robert Cook, Jr. Today I have three children who are about the father's business. Nine grandchildren who are serving Jesus. My grandfather did not know what may happen. But I'm glad that he was faithful. You see, what am I, why am I telling you that story? Sir, ma'am, It's not just about you today to make Jesus your Savior and your Lord. It's about those who come behind you. What kind of legacy of faithfulness will you leave? Will it be about your fulfillment of your life? I want more and more money. Or will it be Jesus, you're my Savior and I make you Lord, So that your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, should the Lord delay His return, will they one day speak about the fact that you made Jesus your Lord? I'm going to pray over you, but before I do, I'm going to ask Stephen and the worship team just to sing this song. And if you're here today, Maybe you're here today and you've never made Jesus your Savior. Hey, today is the day of salvation. It is so easy. You just come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I've messed up. I've messed up. I've sinned against you. And I need to be made brand new. It is available for you today. So in a moment when we sing, if you need to make Jesus your Savior, you come and stand here in the front. But there's some of you here today... The Lord set you up. You, you know that this message, is if it was for no one else, it was for you. Sir, you need to make Jesus your Lord. I believe there's marriages here that need to make Jesus the center of your marriage. Your marriage is in trouble. Your marriage is on the rocks. You need to make Jesus the focus of your marriage. Do it. Sir, ma'am, you come to the front. Whoever you may be, front row, it may be some of you way in the back. I'm not picking on those in the back, but I remember 49 years ago, I went into the service and I sat close to the back and it was a message. I didn't want to get too close. That's okay. But maybe God is speaking to some of you that are in the shadows and he's saying, I've got great things for you. Just give me your life. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.